Hi everybody, welcome to Little Wars. I'm your host, Mongoose Kikimura, and today with me, as always, is my trusty and wonderful co-host, uh, Jack Karanet. Yo buddy, still alive? Indeed, I am still alive. You're just covering up for the fact that I pissed you off. It's okay. Big oof. Big oof. Do you see, do you see how well he role plays? This is amazing. <laughs> Well, of course, if I if I wasn't any good at it, you know, it'd kind of be pointless to have me as the quote-unquote role-playing game guy on this sort of online ecosystem we inhabit. Deep. Very, very deep. Uh, deep ecology, man. Bruh. Bruh. I read, I read an ecology textbook, bruh. <laughs> dude, dude, did you know that if we put plastic in the oceans, it's bad? <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez, pine pine tree gang is uh is gonna is gonna come out. D okay, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say in a fight, who wins, pine tree or pagan gang? I'm gonna say pagan gang. Pagan gang. Pagan gang. Pagan. Well, because because they they you know they they uh they worship the moon and the trees and the rocks and you know Lucifer and stuff. So, I mean they they've got some. <laughs> You know, they got they got some they got some heavy hitters. The moon, the trees, the rocks. Hitler. Well <laughs> Hitler. not Hitler. Not not Hitler. Hitler's on well, the, the side. Well the pine tree of gang also tree. has the moon, the trees, and the rocks as well. Ooh, is this just a nature Ooh. civil war? It may be a nature civil war. Except except for the fact that Pine Tree Gang has Hitler and God. Mmm. Mmm. And the and the last at least eight uh reincarnations of Vishnu. Hmm. 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 Yeah. Just doing my best Minecraft villager impression. This is really a. How do is, I say is, it? This really is that what that is? Yeah. I thought the, that was a. Hmm. That, I thought that was a. I thought that was an Australian. Or maybe oh no, it's no, the no, same no. thing. They'd be like, hmm, mate. <laughs> you know, you gotta do the really, really bad impression of an Australian. But the Minecraft villagers, hmm, 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 hmm. Have you role-played in Minecraft lately? I've never role-played a Minecraft villager, mostly because Minecraft would probably be one of the most boring things to role-play, considering it's like, oh, dude, I built a hut out of dirt. I mean, part of it is because, like, Minecraft itself is inherently sort of visual in the way that you create things in it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, but then again, I mean... I I've actually kind of wondered this, like if people, uh, because because there are a few video games with extensive mod modding capabilities where you can actually create like a uh, like a dungeon master player dynamic within the game, and you can actually run campaigns, kind of like a what was that one game, Baldur's Gate? Baldur's Gate had a great uh, level of of. Uh, of uh, customization, so that so that it, it's it's almost as though the GM would create the game, and then your players would run through the game. I actually, I was actually a member of a forums that actually did that, but yeah. I'm be honest though. I mean, like Minecraft isn't great for like role playing games, quote unquote. Mm. Uh, if you wanted to have a role playing game based on Minecraft, but if you wanted to play a role playing game in Minecraft, it'd probably be better. Yeah, I can see that. Which I can see a lot of people saying like, "Oh, that's cringe," but I mean, if you had the right people, it'd be a lot of fun. I think. Yeah, possibly. 
I can. See I mean, that. a lot of a lot of these ideas are really just sort of like if you have the right people, it's fun, which is kind of true for a lot of things. But you know, if you if you had like a group of guys that were kind of committed to it, you could you could probably make it into a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Some some uh, <clears throat> some systems are just not uh, built for uh, certain uh, certain guys or groups of guys, you know, or even dare I say, women. Uh, mm. Actually, actually, no, no, I shouldn't say that. I take that back. Never mind. Hmm. That's uh. That's 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 uh. What what's the word? That's racist against the female race. That's true. T. Julius Evola. T. <laughs> Grugulus Evolo. Uh, you racist against women. Um, <laughs> women are a species. Well, they are. <laughs> but yeah, at any rate. So yeah, so uh, so we should we should start off with our bit. Uh, what kind of uh, what kind of uh gaming uh activities did you do last week, Mister Kikimura? I ran my customary Savage Worlds campaign, and that's literally it. Uh, as usual. Yeah. So, what have you been up to? Uh, well, I mean, tomorrow I'm finishing up that game that I started with my Blood Angel uh, friend, and that's going to be fun. Maybe worth going through a small bit on, uh, on attack versus defense and war games, but, uh... What do you, oh, okay, are you talking, like, when you, when you have, like, first turn versus second turn, or when the mission dictates it? Well... Yes and no. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, kind of. But I was, I was actually thinking more along the lines of, uh, of like, what kind of army, like, like does does your army excel at uh, at at quick attacks, slow attacks, uh, you know, defense, range, melee, that kind of thing. Oh yeah, no, that that's kind of interesting because you've got to consider a lot of these. Um... So, for example, uh, one of the things to consider when you're sort of looking at your force is you have to you have to kind of consider: is my force going to be at an advantage if my opponent clusters everything in one area and I can outmaneuver him, mm. or am I going to be forced to just sort of grind him out over a single point? Well, right. Like like we were talking uh, last week about uh, about about the new flames of war. Uh, uh, what what was it? What was it called? It's on the tip of my tongue. It's it's the one with the Iranians and the uh, and the and the Russians. Oh yeah, no, uh, they're they're coming out with um, oil wars for oil wars, the yeah. Middle East, to World War Three. And and you were you were specifically talking about how uh, um, how certain factions were better at like assaulting or or you know really quickly moving up the map and and getting yeah out there versus well, actually. Flames of War, the World War II one, is actually a really good example of, like, how do different factions deal with attacking and defending. Yeah. So, so for example, um, Russians, the, the Soviet Union faction, is, is a very, um, it's a horde army, and, and most horde armies generally in games, what you tend to do is you have a lot of guys, uh, maybe not necessarily so good on the move, um, but you have a lot of them. And you can sort of, and the the idea with the Russians is you just have enough that if you just concentrate it at one point, your opponent will quite literally not be able to generate enough shots over the course of the game, or he physically will not be able to shoot and kill everything. Hmm. And you'll wear him down. 
And that it's less of a very fast attack strategy and more of a very, very slow grind. You sort of grind your opponent into a bloody pulp through just sheer numbers. Yeah, well, right. So, uh, so when in in your mind, right, even before knowing anything about the players or the battlefield or how many points uh, this this game is going to entail, you already kind of know, you know, what when when you say, okay, this game is between Russians and Iranians, right? You already kind of have a good idea of like, okay, well, the Russians are probably going to do this, and the Iranians are going to do this. Right, and that's and that's kind of what I mean. I mean, assuming assuming an optimal sort of meta game context, then yes. I mean, for example, if if you're playing a game between, say, I don't know, Americans and Germans in Flames of War, it's highly likely the Americans are going to be running some sort of mixed vehicle spam with very cheap infantry backup, and the Germans are going to be running some form of like single heavy vehicle backed up with a few others maybe maybe a scout car company stuff like that and you'll you'll be able to kind of see like Germans tend to focus very on fast attack uh very very quick pointed attacks that are very powerful but a lot of their units either tend to be fragile or have key weaknesses that can be exploited by uh experienced or skilled players so so then my question then becomes so you know this dynamic right so because you know this dynamic, how do you, is, is there a way for you to subvert that dynamic in a way that would surprise your enemy and outflank him almost in, in, in the whole meta, in the whole meta, you know, thinking about the game, thinking about thinking about the game, or is that, or, or, or is, or does that not exist at Flames of War? Um, it, it does sort of. So the way Flames of War sort of delineates is you'll have like, Certain armies are better at tank companies, certain armies are better at infantry forces, some armies have better mechanized forces. You can try to buck the meta and try to run a, a sort of unused or weird company. The problem always ends up being, though, that a lot of these armies that, that end up, you're, you're going to be ending up in a non-optimal position. So, for example, if I play Germans and I try to run a foot infantry horde, I'm actually going to lose more often than not to an enemy foot infantry horde just on sort of the base merits that my foot infantry horde is not going to be as optimal or as good as, like, say, an American one. Hmm. The English have very, very good infantry companies, and they have very, very good heavy tanks. Just about everything else they have is done better by somebody else. So if I want to play English and I want to play, like, light tank spam, I'm always going to be outdone by a Russian player or an American player who has simply just access to better light tank spam. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I was I was thinking about this as I was preparing uh to fight to fight my friend, you know, I I know what he's going to do, right? Even even when I didn't know the exact units he was taking, I knew he was going to bring a bunch of uh a bunch of fast uh bunch of fast melee uh units in his army because i mean that's what he has access to right he's not going to take like six units of tactical marines or whatever right like like he's he's going to take a lot of fast attack uh options and i was thinking to myself well you know i know this and i'm preparing for this with my strengths right so so you know it's 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 this kind of it's this kind of tempting uh uh, tempting idea that well, I know he's taking a lot of fast attack. What if I 
find a few good units in my army that could also beat his fast attack. I could pro possibly neutralize that and uh or at least or at least stall him long enough for me to use my advantages against him. Well, I I I can see that and that certainly has its value because you can certainly try to do this play counterplay thing. But one always has to consider this is that so for example, if I'm running Americans, I have some of the best uh medium tanks in the game. I have some of the best medium tanks in the game available to me. And I also have really good infantry and some overcosted mech infantry that are really good in certain contexts. Uh, I also have really good artillery support. And I have this, that, and the other thing. These, these are all really, really good things I have access to. And so uh, when I'm looking at this, I'm going, oh, okay, I have, uh, you know, this, 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 and this that I'm good at. If I start trying to look at it and say, okay, I know German players have a lot of this and I can counter it with this rather than this, you know, I'm starting to lose out on things where had I, if I just focus on what my army's good at and try to maximize that, I'm going to be performing in a more optimal context uh, in, in vague terms. Mm -hmm. A really good example of this in Flames of War right now is the Brits. The Brits really really, really suck hard in the, um, in the, just, just at a lot of things. Um, they, they just, they suck hard at, a, at quite a few, uh, very key things that they, they should be good at, but, uh, they don't have access to a lot of very decent, say, like, mobile anti-tank, for example. So they can try to sort of jank and take American units to do that and this, that, and they can pay, spend points on that. When, they're, when honestly their points would be better spent on things like just straight like infantry tanks, better Brit infantry, some of their um, better anti-tank guns that are foot-mounted, this, that, and the other, rather than trying to figure out new and interesting ways to deal with... Uh, the myriad and sort of novel threats that they will be facing that they could in theoretic in theory minimize the very few things they're good at to try to deal with you know in a context because the other thing you also have to uh, realize is when you're building these games is you're always uh going to be in theory building your army and buying dudes for it and so you're going to have this sort of ongoing reserve and so what you build your list towards is what you're going to end up buying models for. And so when you when you end up like pigeonholing yourself into like sort of trying to anticipate some random threats, you end up building a list that were you to come across a, a, an opponent who's say less expected than um a, a another one. So if I'd built my British uh list to sort of always counter or always really work well against say uh I don't know German Panzer III spam, which is a list that's fallen out of favor, but say I've I've sort of built it and I've I'm built you know, I'm taking allied American units here, there, and the other thing. And then some guy comes up with Soviet light vehicles, I'm having a problem because I haven't properly uh I, I'm if I if I take the things that I'm always optimally performing with, I have a better chance of dealing with it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I've I also bring this up because I've seen a lot of people uh, 
you know, casual players try to buck the tra- trend. And you're right. Like, like you know, you're you're spending money on these models because you know, you know, you should have fun converting and building and painting them, right? Because it's a hobby. But what I see a lot is people buying uh, off the beaten path models, and that's totally fine. You know, if you want if you want models that are uh, that are not you know uh, that are not used often by your by your army or whatever, I mean that's totally cool. Or just convert them. But you know they 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 get them, and I'm like I'm like why why are you taking like twelve spawn with your I don't know with your like thousand sun or death guard army? And they're like, well. You know, I, I I really like to do things that my opponent can't anticipate. Just for the audience context, uh, Spawn are these weird demon blobs, and they've always been bad. I cannot think of a single time when Spawn <laughs> have been a good unit. Oh right, right, yeah. Like the, the, the they're they're basically they're basically a melee uh, unit. They, they can be good in context or whatever, or or you know if you convert a really cool looking you know dude, but. You know that they just buy these like off-color uh, models because they, not because they think they're they're you know not because they like the model right because I can totally understand that but because they want to do something that their opponent can't anticipate and it's like well bro for that for those points you could have just used like all these guys that are the mainstay of your army you know that that do the job you know like do work. To use a uh, to use a colloquialism from uh, from our cir- circles, like these guys do work, these guys don't, and you're taking them. Why? Because you want to be, you know, you want to be uh, nifty with your strategy. You know, it's like, well, I can't, I can't get, I can't get behind that. Well, one one good example, and we've talked about this in a previous episode, really in depth, is all German army lists take the Ferdinand because it's. For what it does, it's fairly undercosted. Uh, comparable units, uh, it, it just for what it does, it's it's reasonably costed, but it's it's got a slight sort of edge to it, and it's it's one of the stronger. Rather, it's not that it's undercosted; it's undercosted in comparison to everything else. That is to say, everything in the German arsenal uh, is kind of overcosted. So the Ferdinand is kind of right on point. So it's one of the more powerful units Germans have. Uh, combine that with the fact that it's uh, it's the way you'd have to respond to it is, shall we say, kind of kind of weird and non-conventional. So it it'll throw a lot of opponents for a loop. So a lot of German players will end up uh, relying on the Ferdinand as sort of an army mainstay. Now you could build an army without Ferdinands, or, or well, normally people only take one. You could build an army without a Ferdinand, and you could build an army without a Ferdinand or martyrs. But you would be you would be kneecapping yourself in a way that's completely unreasonable. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really that's a really good example. Your opponent will be like, "Oh, he doesn't have a Ferdinand," but then it's just like, "Okay, what do you take instead? Panzer fours? Those are easier to kill than the Ferdinand. He'll just he'll just you know eat them alive." For for both me and the audience, can you only take one Ferdinand or something, or uh, just. A Ferdinand, a single Ferdinand, so most games are on an average of uh, 100 points. A single Ferdinand costs some, se- something like 17, so taking two is kind of stupid. Mm, I see. So, so, it's a, so, so it's a known efficiency, basically. Yeah, it's, 
Well, the other thing you have to remember about Flames of War is that when you when you start with more than one tank in a unit, and then the unit goes down to one tank, uh, it has to start taking um, morale saves at the beginning of every turn, otherwise everyone in the unit runs away. Um, so if you take two Ferdinands and one of them dies, then the other one might just run away, and you've lost twice as many Ferdinands for only the same amount of work if you had only taken one and your opponent just kills it. Because if it's just one, it doesn't have to take that save ever. I see. Okay. Yeah, that that clarifies yeah. things. And you could the the other the other optimal position would be to uh take the um would be to use a jeez, uh, let me think. The other optimal position would be to use 3. Right? But why would I use 3 when that takes like, you know, something like it's it's somewhere close to it's some obscene like nearly half your army's points cost. Yeah, that that or is slightly that is above it. Right, it is obscene to to get to that like other optimal position. So really, you're just looking at it and you're going, yeah, I'm gonna take one, and uh, just be happy with it, because really one will do everything the Ferdinand needs you to do, which is you know use its really powerful gun to like prevent your opponent from like showing his face where he knows he might get shot at with it and holding down objectives with how incredibly tough the unit is. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes total sense. The point being, you know, taking mu- taking units to buck the trend is oftentimes going to hurt you more than uh just from a meta context. Mm. Uh just trying to fight the meta is going to hurt, you know. You you have areas where you can sort of maneuver around within it. Flames other than the Ferdinand has a pretty dynamic meta for a lot of armies. In many ways, there's sort of static elements and mainstays. Uh, a lot of, like, when I was new to the game, I decided I didn't want to take any howitzers. Boy, that was a stupid idea. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet howitzers seem like a mainstay. Uh, howitzers are, like, the first thing you should take with your army. After you've got, like, your minimum units required to actually put the army on the field. You then have to buy a unit of howitzers or artillery at the very minimum one. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've I've gone through a lot of speaking speaking personally. I've gone through a lot of uh, evolutions as far as you know what I like to play on the tabletop. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, you know that's that's another thing is is efficiency. As far as uh, as far as units, you don't want to take an entire army of like two or three vehicles, you know. I mean, you know, unless I guess unless you're a knight player, at which point. Hey, that that is the cheapest Flames of War list that is legal to play. Is like four, uh, Ferdinands or something. <laughs> it's actually five uh Ferd. It's it's actually five elephants, which is the late war variant of the Ferdinand. And in the current iteration of the late war, you can take five of them for fifteen hundred points, which is the standard points value, and nothing else, and you can get a uh, pretty decently uh, cheap elephant uh, f- model from a uh, from Zvezda for about five dollars each. So the the models themselves are only going to run you twenty five bucks. Huh. Interesting. I think that's the absolute minimum in terms of cost for any legal list for any war game I've seen. That's not like a skirmish game. I will note to the audience that this list is absolutely horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, sh- and should not be played, yeah. You could play it. You're just going to have a really, 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 really not fun time. Yeah, and uh, and if I, could, if I could not support 
for our uh, for our audience out there, if I, I if I could uh, highly uh, not recommend just buying four nights and calling it a day in uh, in forty k. Not only will you get looks at the tabletop, but uh, yeah, it's also going to run you like I don't know six million dollars, sixty million dollars, something like that. Six trillion dollars. Never forget. Never, never forget. Never forget the six trillion dollars I spent on my four nights. Yeah, on your four nights for Warhammer 40k. Yeah. Thank you, GW. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, so so I mean, there there you go. I mean, you get these you get these units. You know, you can spend money on them. You can try to be a clever boy and you know try to fight the meta. But at the end of the day, you will be dragged, sort of kicking and screaming, back to uh, back to what is the sort of optimal outcome for an army, because every game is going to have sort of a uh, an optimal strategy or, or what you can play with it. Um, this is this is why you should look very carefully at choosing your army. So if, if you're getting into something, you know, if you've read a ton of books and you know you're ready to get into an army look at the look at the even even the current usually the current meta will will give you a pretty good idea but if not you know look at the army's strengths and weaknesses and figure out what you want to play and then that's 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 very wrong um, oh really well i i mean i mean okay not not the current meta maybe but you know it's usually Usually, uh, figuring out what the army does well and what the army doesn't do well, in a very general sense, will give you a good idea of, you know, uh, if you want to play the army or not, as well as the aesthetics, I guess, which are which is the most important. Well, yeah, really, really, it's more of an important thing. Of really, you've got to play enough games to understand what playstyle you like, and then you can select an army on that. Is probably going to be more wise than. Uh, is going to be more wise than really just sort of trying to uh, select an army based on like its particular sort of strengths within the meta. If you choose an army based on what its what its effective fighting strengths are in that meta, when they uh, when they update the edition and change the rules slightly, and your army no longer uh, no longer functions the way it used to at the at the effectiveness it used to, you're going to have a very very miserable time and if you don't inherently like your army you're just gonna be you're just gonna like you're basically gonna quit i mean that's that's what drives a lot of people out of 40k it's because the uh the additions have a have a very wild uh uh a very wild curve as far as that kind of thing goes because you know, I think what what were Tyranids really good between fifth and seventh edition, and then and then were absolute garbage outside of all of those. No, Tyranids were have always been bad between fifth and seventh edition. Like they were garbage that entire time. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of Dark Dark Eldar. But no, yeah, Dark I... Eldar were also garbage. <laughs> well, no, no, I no. mean, uh, Guard have always been sort of in the middle of the tier, or they were back in those days. Um. Uh, let me think. Who was who were the really good guys? Um, Tau. Tau I mean, were really good. I mean, Tower uh, Tower kind of always really good in some in some. Eldar way. were really good. Yeah, Eldar were just really straight good. broken in a lot of ways back in those times. So so maybe what I'm saying is is choose the aesthetic that you want. So like, you want to play space elves? Well, you've got like two or three 
options and then figure out what what kind of space elves do you want to play do you want to do you want to play a communist or like a or like a second or third worlder then well then you got russia you got iran iran you know you got iraq uh yeah with i mean with um with flames of war it's actually it, it really kind of boils down to um uh, and some of it is actually how many dudes do you really want to paint cuz russia you can you can be like with the Soviet armies. You can be running around painting five hundred little figures. Ooh, wow! Yeah, gives me gives me flat. Th- then again, well, you see that's <laughs> that's actually a whole other uh, discussion about about do you want to be the type of war gamer that like mass paints like four or five colors uh, onto his models onto five hundred models and call it a day, or do you want to be the kind of guy who who has like centerpieces and like elite units that are really nicely detailed. You know? Russians can do both because they have heavy tanks and you can always make that your centerpiece, but never forget that your individual infantry unit is going to have something like 100, 120 guys in it. Whereas like the entirety of an American infantry force may have something like 180 at the most. And this is just in terms of models, but like, that's one of your units. Your your force may be bordering on, I don't know, five hundred. At the end of the day, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of tiny dudes. Yeah, man. I mean, you you can really see uh, if you just kind of do some sort of basic math with some of the things that are listed on the packages off the website. Uh, you will you will very quickly come to the horrifying realization that while Flames of War isn't necessarily an expensive game. The time commitment for painting a lot of the guys is ridiculous and scales exponentially for some factions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like you don't want to put too much detail work into your into your five hundred Russian mooks, you know. But uh, but your but your hundred American guys, you know, maybe you want to actually paint their. Uh, their belt buckles and cantinas and shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking as someone who has individually painted the belt buckles onto little uh, German Wehrmacht soldiers, yes, you, you do want to do that. does look nice. What about their what about their officer blades? You painted those too? Uh, officer blades? You mean like um, uh, rank striping or... Uh, no, don't, 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 uh, don't German officers, didn't German officers get like, like daggers, like little daggers? Well, that they I mean, had? it depends if the model has a dagger or not, whether or not you paint it on there. Well, well, you, well, you gotta, you gotta put it on there. You gotta, you gotta get a little, uh, little lightning dagger in his, uh, on his like belt. I, I, do you, you don't fully realize how small these guys are, do you, Jack? <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> I want you to hold up your thumbnail, okay? Mm-hmm. They're about that tall. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of, I kind of figured. So, like I was saying, these miniatures are very small. You have to paint a lot of them, which is a real frustrating thing. But you know what's also really frustrating? What is that? Moving them, which is a nice thing that you know, uh, infantry hordes don't really have to move a lot. Well, they actually they do in the way you play Flames of War, and that's really like one of the most important factors behind like how you play any game is how do you move your dudes and how exactly movement affects the game because movement and positioning are the 
most important factors in any three-dimensional game like this. Mm -hmm. So when you get when you have this factor of movement and how movement affects what your units can do is really like one of the most important considerations you have to make in any and all of your uh, sort of playing. Oh, one of the most important dynamics in Flames of War is that when you move infantrymen, they they uh, move out of their cover, they lose cover they would have normally in the open, and they uh, and they they have lower rates of fire. And tanks, when they move, they have lower rates of fire with their main guns. And these sorts of that dynamic plays so heavily into the game itself. Interesting. Yeah, Warhammer itself is sort of less focused on this than Fl Flames is is probably the most movement heavy game I've ever played in terms of like exactly how um important movement is to the actual like are you going to win or lose with Flames of War movement like just probably is like ah uh, movement and positioning in Flames of War are a good I would say 60% at the very least of the reason you probably lost or won a Flames of War game you played. If you've got like a, a decently well-rounded army that's that's not super incompetently built. Yeah, I mean, I mean as 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 far as the resident uh Warhammer uh uh expert, I guess. Uh it it used to i mean movement in warhammer used to be way more important than it is now they they pretty much nerf moving like like there's really no reason not to move your dudes at this point it's it's kind of it's kind of really annoying but go ahead well okay i mean with with older warhammer there used to be sort of so with rapid fire guns in warhammer what used to happen is you used to get uh, a single shot at long range, but if you moved, you got like two shots at mid range, and then they changed the way that works to like you could move and shoot with them, or, and then but you couldn't assault. They they had changed like a lot of very yeah. specific. Well, I was I was mostly thinking about like heavy weapons. Like if you if you moved with your with a heavy weapon, you'd you'd have to be firing on. You could only hit on sixes basically. So that so moving with a heavy weapon actually actually. Uh, affected you quite a bit but now not so much not so much so but yeah uh yeah cont continue on well with, with what you're well, saying the, the thing about that though is like uh, yeah moving in moving in warhammer was it, it impacted your weapons choice a lot like because you would have these heavy weapons and certain units could move and shoot heavy weapons but then they'd have other nerfs like they couldn't assault into things or i know vehicles yeah. had a lot of weird rules with them but they could move and fire heavy weapons with Flames of War, it's it's really interesting because the uh, the sort of weapons in Flames of War, the penalty generally isn't a uh, change in the way you hit, but your rate of fire goes down if you move on just about every unit, other than guys wielding submachine guns and the machine guns on tanks, which ba which basically gives the means two things: the most close range weapon in the game, the uh, submachine gun, is you know. It plays into that because it allows your dudes to move in and fire. And then tanks are your most reliable rapid response anti-infantry weapons. Because normally tanks will have a lot of machine guns on them, so they can move up and just sort of rake infantry very effectively with a lot of shots of machine gun fire. Uh, although it's it's worth noting that this is sort of the way they nerf movement in Flames of War as a result of the fact that Flames of War as a game... Uh, basically stipulates you have to maneuver your dudes in... Uh, well, the way the the way the game works is you don't actually uh, 
you roll to hit on your opponent, not based on your intrinsic skill, but your opponent's skill. Wait, your opponent's skill? You you mean you mean in combat or something or or in when when I am when I'm shooting at your dudes, uh, the roll I need to make is based on your dudes. Your dudes have a have a score called what they are hit on, and that is generally like a, a dice roll or higher. So like a three up or a four up or a two up, and that decides if I hit your dudes or not. Not my skill. Okay. In in shooting in flames of war, and that's that's why you know rate of fire is penalized as opposed to that, because there are a lot of other modifiers. Um, for example, if I move my infantrymen, they may lose their gone to ground bonus, which means they uh, they a uh, gone to ground bonus gives them another plus one to their hit score. So if they were normally hit on a four, they become hit on a five, which means they go from being hit half the time to being hit only a third of the time, which is very advantageous. Oh yeah, the movement between four and five in that context is very very significant. Yeah that that's so mu- that's so much better. Like like in in uh warhammer 40k like if you want to see how good a unit is like in general throughout the entire game you just look at its card oh this is this is how you know this is how good this unit is at shooting and defending and all this other stuff i mean it's it's kind of it's kind of really annoying because then you can't then there's really there's not as much strategy to the game you know like should i shoot this guy or this guy well i you know i'll hit him on the same dice roll anyway so well, you know. flames have you have to pick your targets and you have to choose what shoots what because sometimes you have less shots and more of a priority target, but you can't hit that target as effectively. So your shots might be spent better spent over there, but that's less of a priority target. It, it gets really complicated, and you you'll end up in flames sort of with these really really complicated layers of like, well, if I do this, he does this, but then I have to weigh my probability here a lot more than with other war games because you're you're hitting your opponent on what he's hit on. Oddly enough, bolt action does this as well. Um, you're you're hitting on your opponent. Actually, no. No, bolt action is based on your own skill, but there are only three skill tiers in bolt action, so uh, that's that's similar. Flames of War really only has three skill tiers. There's like two up, three up, four up for being hit on such. So, mm-hmm. yeah. A bolt action does it interesting too, is they give you a penalty for rate of fire on the move as well for most weapons. Hmm. And you get a penalty to your def- I think uh I think you get a penalty for cover if you move too. Yeah. Yeah, have you have you ever played uh war games where you where you had trays like trays of uh of dudes in square? I've never actually played like a Napoleonic style game, no. Yeah, because that's that's really interesting because you also have like you also have to count your pivot for your tray as well in your in in the number of inches that you can move so like if a unit can only move six inches and uh there's a piece of terrain there's like a piece of terrain that's like one centimeter in front of your tray you have to pivot around that and that could be like your full six inches is trying to just get around that one little piece of terrain it's really really it's kind of it's kind of uh annoying but then again you know when you when you do a napoleonic style uh rank and file uh war game like that you need to make sure that those guys are in nice open ground that you can just march forward you know yeah no totally um when you start looking at a lot of these units um and with limited movement especially is really where i think 
games that have more limited movement or games that have more heavy penalties for movement are probably the the better ones in my opinion just because they force that tactical thinking where other games will will simply not as hard yeah i i agree and and uh and i'd also like to throw on top of that the concept of own territory right like or own space is probably a better way of putting it uh you know basically um if you have a unit that shoots out 12 inches right and movement is highly constricted well it's it's probably sufficient to say that you own that 12 inches around that unit right i mean an enemy unit can move in there but they risk getting shot right so if you know like let's say uh you know let's say i have a uh a rank and file of musket men, right? And they can shoot 12 inches and I move them up six inches, right? Well, then they own the 12 inches in, in, in that front line. And if you're playing a war game that, that doesn't have a lot of wounds and has very little armor or whatever, or ability to, uh, to defend against that, moving a unit within that 12 inches is very risky for you. So you're more likely to not move anybody in there. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, totally. You're 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 less likely. I mean, some war games there are units that just have extremely long ranges and powerful guns that are pretty much only ever taken as sort of area denial weapons as in I can plop this on a sight line and I know mm-hmm. for a fact you will never go down that sight line ever. Yeah, what what really grinds my gears though is when you have like a uh, a unit that has like a 72 inch gun it's like well that's completely you know that that's not very strategic or i guess the proper word is tactical because you know there's there's no own territory there he's just going to shoot whatever he can get sights on well that the problem there is that kind of comes from the way 40k does indirect fire though because most of those 72 inch units are indirect fire units right uh some of them, some some not. I mean, there there are a certain number of. See, types. I don't have a problem with the seventy-two inch direct fire unit because uh, oftentimes in the games I play, I'm I'm playing and there's a lot of line of sight blocking terrain, so you're gonna plock that dude down and he's gonna hold down a sight line, and that that's an mm-hmm. in, that's another interesting concept in own territories. Now you can that is a good point. Pin yeah. down units with these sight lines, right? But now the uh, the enemy unit, you know has to consider that when they're uh, when they're maneuvering as well. So I don't have a necessary problem with one the the problem with from this perspective that I have with 40k mostly comes from the way 40k resolves um indirect fire that is to say in 40k there's simply just sort of a slight uh debuff when you're firing indirectly uh and you can't see your opponent as opposed to with other games like um in Flames of War you actually uh, in order to fire indirectly on anything, you, the unit itself has to either be able to see it to do its indirect fire uh, mode, or uh, you have to have an observer. Yeah, and and this is where uh, you know a lot of people didn't like uh, templates and scatter dice. I think indirect fire is where scatter dice really kind of uh, really were you know made for. Because if you're doing indirect fire, like instead of just having like a debuff of like negative one or two to your ballistic skill, roll a scatter dice and find out where that indirect fire lands. It could land on your units if they're too close, or it could just 
you know, or, or your unit's pretty much useless. Or, you know, you can shoot your artillery with, you know, using direct fire and not have to worry about scattered eyes. So I, I, I think, I think honestly, that's kind of where the randomness is best is when you're, when you're kind of taking a gamble and trying to shoot at something behind without knowing exactly where it is. Uh, somewhat. I've, I've had a lot of luck with uh, some systems where indirect fire itself is sort of, um, it's either, it's just an immediate hit or miss. And then you also have to keep in mind where you're putting your, um, where you're putting your guys because there's this rule in the game that if your dudes are too close to where you're trying to set in the artillery barrage, you just can't fire the barrage. Yeah, that's good. Although although I, I do I do prefer games that allow uh you know um uh friendly fire. Forty K has cut down on friendly fire quite a bit. It used to be that, you know, you could lose units by just uh by just deep striking in badly you know but nowadays you know it's i don't know i don't i, I don't really want to go into that but you know just yep uh deep strike mishap table no that was a randomly rolled on table <laughs> that's it was the it was the best random sip right but yeah you got to no the deep strike yeah yeah deep strike mishap table no that was the best table that was ever devised back in my day we didn't have any of these automatic safe uh radius based deep strikes. We had we had to Yeah fuck that. We had to scatter randomly <laughs> and see if our dudes died because they teleported inside of a rock or not. <laughs> like a man. <laughs> Give me my nostalgia, alright? That that was manly. That was manly, okay? I'm I'm deep striking my yeah, dudes. Yeah, no, dude, rolling to rolling randomly to see whether or not your dude died because he teleported into a rock or a rock teleported <laughs> into him while he was teleporting. That that was actually engaging gameplay. <laughs> or or like or like your drop pod goes off the map into a into a ravine and you lose your chapter master. Like <laughs> <sighs> on one hand that's like it was like eminently frustrating, but on the other hand, the deep strike mishap table was the great equalizer. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Unless you were playing a deep strike based army, in which case it was the great un you know, unequalizer, but for the most part <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, so yeah, Jack, Jack's still looking for a Horus Heresy game at some point. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, I know. They still have the Deep Strike mishap table in there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They haven't changed that. You can still teleport into a rock. Dude, nice. I mean, the teleporting into a rock was like one of the most interesting and funny things that could happen in Warhammer 40k. Well, and the best part is that if you had a squad of, uh, oops, I shatted Terminators, uh, you know, the first guy could go down perfectly fine, right? Like if you're teleporting into a trench, the first guy came down fine, and then you placed models around him. And if those models touch terrain, whoops, he's in a rock. So, so the unit comes down and the sergeant's like, okay, is everyone here? <laughs> it's like, uh, Joe and Bob are inside that rock and, uh. I will say this, nothing feels better in any war game than watching your opponent's 200-point Terminator unit just sort of <laughs> into midair. Just go to whoosh, it's gone. <laughs> and you're just yeah. like, yeah, there's something I was hoping I didn't have to deal with, and now I don't ever have to deal with it. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, I, I've always liked the idea of, of, of that kind of thing. It can get frustrating, I do agree. And a lot of people 
complained about it online, but I I I also I also think it kind of made the game a little bit more like you know, uh, uh, un unknown you know and kind of fun to do that. It did so. it did insert a, a sort of um, element of unpredictability that you had to account for in your in your battle plan that a lot of games have have sort of strayed away from wherein there is a certain amount of randomness and you can you can have games that are more or less random but when you have this sort of thing you actually it does impact the way you play and it it, it makes mm -hmm. it makes the game more interesting well and and if you don't want to teleport inside of a rock then you know set down uh in the open field, you know, you have a, you have a very small chance of a mishap then, but then again, you're out in the open, you know, and your terminators are one wound. <laughs> so, you know, they got their, uh, you know, they, they, they're kind of, they're kind of got their, uh, privates dangling in the wind. So. Yeah. And some, some like epic meme Lord will just come up and he will, uh, he will just have a, uh, he's just going to have a grand old time with his battle bus full of uh, Imperial Guardsmen with Melta guns. <laughs> and then they will actually shitted their pants. Well, the Terminators will be turned into a liquidy ceramite, that, which yes. may or may not have the consistency of shit. <laughs> uh, uh. No, oh, the other... Okay, so here's another thing to consider that's pretty interesting. Is a lot of there are a couple of airplane-based war games like X-wing, and then there's one that's like Wings of Glory or something like that. Mm -hmm. And in those games, you have to move a minimum amount; otherwise, you're do mm. you're just stipulated by the rules. So a lot of those games can actually be turned into uh, guys flying circles around each other, trying <laughs> to get shots, and then like there will actually be points in time where the games will be drawn to a draw because neither player can pull a tight enough turn or a maneuver to get a shot on the other one. Now, I haven't actually looked into the rules of those games. Uh, is it possible to fly off the map and then come back on? No, I'm not. I no. do not believe it is. Unless you are okay. forced to, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, it's kind of a broken record at this point, but there there used to be rules like that uh, for flying units where like you would fly off the map and then you'd have to come and then you'd have to wait a turn and come back on. And it's like, do I want to turn my plane and stay in the game for one turn, despite the fact that I can't shoot anything or fly off the map and come back on at a later turn. But I lose, I basically lose the ability to, uh, you know, use my unit for a whole turn. And that was kind of an interesting, but yeah. I don't Warhammer know. 40k had a lot of really bad things with the flyers, namely that the the flyers base, if it couldn't be placed without on, a, uh, without sort of overlapping an enemy model, the the flyer would just die. So you ended up with these really weird strategies where people would daisy chain dudes out there. <laughs> well, uh, well, I mean th there. There were definitely minimum. I mean, the there were some flyers with minimum uh, ranges. So yeah, that did happen sometimes. But I can never think of a time in which if I couldn't put my my base on on the ground. I mean, I'm I, I'm I'm not I'm not you know saying that that rule doesn't exist. There but. was a there was a tournament strategy at the time wherein oh yeah, yeah this yeah, this yeah. one guy had figured out that he could take just an absolute metric shitload 
of Imperial Guard conscripts, just really cheap infantry, and he could space them out at perfect intervals. And he could cover, like, half the board in, like, two turns, so that by the time any flyers could come on, they just couldn't maneuver effectively, so they just immediately have to fly off the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was another game, it's, it's a really famous picture, where uh, a guy is infiltrating a bunch of scouts, and he, and, um, because you have to, you have to bring on you have to have units on the board by turn one, otherwise you lose. So he would infiltrate like like No, the, no, the the, the, the the ruling there was technically so the guy had one guy had an army where he could stick everything into reserves and uh bring it on as he pleased, uh when he wanted, kind of and he had a, he had some special character that allowed him to just sort of do that with a white scars army. And uh, his and the, the advantage there was he got to pick and choose his fights based on how his opponent deployed. His opponent had a unit of scouts that was large enough that he was able to daisy chain them uh, along his opponent's uh, board edge where his dudes would come on. And because of the way he daisy chained them, his opponent's units couldn't actually physically move onto the battlefield because of the rules for like moving within certain things. <laughs> so what happened was in Warhammer tournaments if you don't have any units on the table you seed the match yeah it was it was kind of it was kind of dumb well it wasn't dumb the the uh the the cheese strategy of leaving everything in reserve to immediately respond to your opponent was way dumber than this (laughs) well yeah yeah no i'm 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 not suggesting that you know his 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 ability to to jink the rules uh you know was dumb i'm 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 just suggesting the whole the whole the whole thing is dumb like i show up to i show up to a board with an incredibly stupid cheese strategy and my 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 opponent cheeses my cheese strategy so i lose it's like oh god that's warhammer welcome to warhammer like that's just how the game's been well welcome to the warhammer podcast everybody <laughs> yeah this isn't a warhammer podcast i would ho- at least hope not no, it's not. No, I'm. I'm just. Thank, I'm, thank God, because <laughs> we just spend our time talking about dumb, boring stuff like that all the time. <laughs> right? Oh Who yeah, man. Do you game? remember Seer Star? <laughs> I I actually legitimately don't. But good, good. That's a good thing. <laughs> I I only brought that up as like a as like a piece of <laughs> jargon just to just to be like. Wow, wouldn't it be really boring if we just used 40k jargon? And I, look, my point has been proved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see. I, I, so. Like, there's like two people in the audience that are like, "Oh yeah, man, I remember Seer Star," and everybody else is, like, "What is Seer Star?" And I'm like, "It was a really cheesy and bad strategy back from Sixth Edition." That's really all you need to know. There you go. There you go. So yeah, movement good. Make sure you make sure you master movement. Specifically, make sure you master movement so that you own space. That's yes, that's what it, I would the, that's the what more, I would say. The more you are stipulating to your opponent the what he can and can't do, the more power you have in the game and therefore the the better you are at beating him. <laughs> right. Yes. That's just right. I mean that that is how it works though. Is you you win war games by forcing your opponent to choose between between suboptimal choices, mm-hmm. not by making decisions yourself. Uh, the 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 two general theories is the the 
the less random chances you have to take, the better, and then the more suboptimal decisions you can force your opponent into having to make and choose between, the better as well. Yes. I could not agree more. Right. I, <laughs> I don't I don't really have much to say because because it's a very generalized uh thing to say, right? Like like I mean I, I could I could give specific examples of it, but I've already I've already given enough. Like like my, my, my best example, I mean most people know what Starcraft is and most people know what a siege tank is. A siege tank is basically just I a space denial don't. unit. You don't? Okay. No, no I I don't play StarCraft. <laughs> well, it's it's basically it's 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 a computer war game. It's a it's a computer no, tabletop. No, I know war that game. StarCraft's an RTS. I just don't know anything about yeah. it and I don't really care. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, well my 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 point here is be the siege tank, not assaulting the siege tank. How about that? There. For that's all I'm going to say about the that. Members of our audience who understood that, I'm sure that's very <sighs> poignant. And <laughs> yeah, so 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 the idea of the siege tank is it's a unit that you move up, and it's spent and you know it's it's got a relatively uh, uh, heavy can. It's basically a tank, right? You move it up. Yeah, it's, it's got a, a relatively yeah, good... it's a tank. <laughs> it's a, it's a tank, right? Well, the idea though is that you can put it in siege mode. And it takes it takes a few seconds to set up, but once it's set up, it's got three times the range and three times the damage, right? But it's immovable, so it's kind of like a howitzer or a or a stationary uh, artillery. And the best part is it'll shoot automatically, which you know is not really relevant here. So, but but the 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 goal is to get enough siege tanks to where if your opponent moves into that space, their units are deleted. And that's that's kind of what I'm pointing out here. Okay. <laughs> um, that that's not really what I was going for, but okay. <laughs> right. So, do you have anything? Uh, do you have anything else on this? Uh, no. Um, just make your opponent choose between bad decisions. Um, if if your opponent has to make a decision to which there is no good or right answer, then you're you're winning. Or you've at least won that particular small section of the engagement. I could not agree more. That's just how it is. And so with that, I think we're just going to sign off for the week. We'll see you guys later. See ya. Bye. Bye.